If you have your Bibles, go with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Let me say, since um, five minutes ago, or in the last few minutes since we announced or prayed for the children's space, uh, we, I've already got a couple text messages on my phone from people, so I got the famous, um, if you build it, they will come text, so that's already come along um, from one of you guys here, I won't say who. And then we also got the um, praying hand emojis along with the words children's ministry. So um, we do see you guys' response. So make sure you guys are fasting tomorrow. So let's pray um, for that. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you're taking notes this morning, you can tell this morning's message for two full years. For two full years. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. God, we, this morning... And we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us. And Lord, now as we sit before you, and God, as we study your word, we pray that you would take this portion, this, this next part of, of what we're going through here in 2 Samuel. And Lord, would you take this section and would you speak to our heart? Lord, I pray that within the text, God, that there would be something that is for us. Something that would minister, something that would speak to us. Something that would be exactly what we need to hear this morning. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you. And so we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray even for myself this morning that you would just give me a fresh filling of your spirit. Lord, that you would touch my mouth. And God, the things that are said, the, the words that are taught, Lord, that they would come straight from you. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Once again, if you're taking notes this morning, you can tell this morning's message for two full years. This morning, we are in the aftermath of a vicious and heartbreaking story of rape. Last week, we left off with David's son Amnon raping his half-sister, and the daughter of David, Tamar. Our text last week focused on the unhealthy, destructive passion that had built up within Amnon toward his sister. And we talked about how over the course of time, you guys remember the phrase, right? Over the course of time, this unhealthy lust resulted in incest and rape. I'm going to say something to you guys. Last week, I shared with you guys something very personal um, from my family, from my life. And one of the things, I, I know some of you guys got caught off guard by what I shared, but one of the things that I don't think I did a good job with, and I want to correct that real quickly this morning, was if you were here last week, I talked a little bit about my mom and a situation that she went through um, before she passed a couple years ago. And... I mentioned how night after night, she would turn to the wrong thing in dealing with her grief. And I mentioned, you know, for her, what she turned to happened to be alcohol, to numb the pain, to get her through till the next day. And we talked about how unhealthy that was. And one of the things I didn't say, and I probably should have said, um, was that toward the end of her life, she actually did turn to the Lord, okay? So 
Um, she, for a season, definitely turned in the wrong direction, tried to cope with it by focusing on the wrong thing. But at the end of her life, you know, um, myself and Christina and conversations we had with my mom, she definitely had given her life to the Lord. And I'll tell you guys, and the reason why I feel like I needed to say this last week and I, I, I didn't, and I want to say it this morning, was because I saw the difference in her. I saw the difference in a woman who night after night could not control herself, crying, grieving, hysterical. There were some evenings where I would get called over to the house and I would have to, I mean, I would have to take a belt and tie her to the chair to keep her from hurting herself because she was in so much pain. In fact, there's kind of a funny story, not really funny, but one night I went over and she was going through a thing. She drank too much and just super hurt. And so one of those evenings, we actually tied my mom's hands to the chair. And so my mom's mad and angry and everything else. And, you know, but she kept trying to go to the kitchen to grab a knife. And so we had to uh, kind of hold her down. And so on that particular evening, there came a point after a couple hours of that, that she said, I, I need to use the restroom. I need to use the restroom. And we were a house full of all boys. And so none of us were going to walk mom to take her to go to the restroom. So I had mentioned to her, okay, if we untie you, which sounds so bad, mom, if we untie you, you know, you have to go to the restroom. And then right after you're done, we're going to tie you right back up, mom. And so um, we let her go to the restroom. I guess we didn't check her pockets, but she had her her phone in her, her phone with her. So next thing you know, through the door, I hear, um, 911, my name is Belen, and my son, Randolph Ochoa, is holding me hostage here, Gardena, California. And I'm like, Mom, stop. And she's like, yeah, he's a pastor. <laughs> At the time, I was still working at Calvary Chapel South Bay. He's a pastor, Calvary Chapel South Bay, Steve Mays. And she used to do pastor two vice taxes. She was a tax woman. So she's like, Steve Mays, you know, to Pastor Calvary Chapel, get over here. And so anyway, so about five minutes later, about 10 of Gardena's finest pulled up about 2.30 a.m. to the house and guns drawn, everything else. And so we had to, I actually had to walk out and let them know the situation. And I, anyways, kind of funny, not kind of funny. But I tell you guys all of this to say eventually she turned. Eventually, she took the pain, she took the grieving, she took the hurt, and she placed her eyes on the Lord. And so for you guys this morning, if you're going through something and you've been turning in the wrong direction to something that's obviously destructive, you know, there does come a moment where we can turn to the Lord and honestly, it completely changed her life. You know, those last couple of years that she had she looked like a different person. Her countenance was different. Everything about her was different when she turned to the Lord. So anyways, I wanted to accurately um, tell the whole story this morning. But anyways, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to last week's message. So where we left off last Sunday morning was we left off with the following people in our text. Obviously, we had Tamar. Tamar was the victim of rape, and she's hurting, and she's weeping. In fact, go with me back to verse 19. 
here in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. It says, Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So listen, Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. So instead of going to her father's house, instead of going to David's palace, Tamar is here and she's staying at Absalom's house. Real quickly, at the end of verse 20, it says she remained desolate while in the house. If you're taking notes this morning, this word desolate in the Hebrew, it literally means to be stunned, devastated, and to grow numb. And so the picture that I want you guys to see this morning is not a woman who's been shocked by one moment, but it's this picture of someone who going forward is now living in this state of shock. She's living in this this stage of where she's growing numb. Day by day, she continues to get numb. And so just for a moment, I want you to set that image there in your mind. You have Tamar. She's in Absalom's house, and she's desolate. She's, She's still stunned. It's continually numbing her. The second person in our story, in our text this morning, that I want to remind you guys of is Amnon. Amnon was the rapist, the brother here in our story. He was the man who went from having uncontrolled urges to now being uncontrolled in his anger. In fact, go with me over to verse 15 and read about him for just a moment. It says that Amnon, after everything took place, It says, he hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love or the lust with which he had for her, and he loved her. It says, and Amnon said to her, arise, be gone. And so we have Amnon. Amnon was the guy, obviously, with the attraction. This attraction that I mentioned a moment ago, that was lust, not love. And one of the things we know, because we see it in our text, is that Amnon was attracted to his sister, and the attraction was solely based on what he could get or take from her. There was no concern for her. There was no true love for her. It simply was selfish. What can I take from her? Let's take it outside of Amnon and Tamar. Let's bring it into our life, our present situations. Most relationships where the foundation is lust and not love, just about, let me rephrase, all relationships whose foundation is lust, whose foundation is an unhealthy and destructive attraction, Every single one of those relationships at some point is going to find itself at a place where there is no concern for the other person. The only concern is what's in it for me, how can I be satisfied, and what can I take 
from the other person. You see, Abnon had no real love for Tamar. It was only lust. And one of the things we see is that at the very end, no, go back with me to verse 15, not only did he now transition from lust to hate, but he looks at her after everything is done, and he says to her, arise, be gone. In other words, I got what I wanted, now get out of here. I did what I felt I needed to do. Now I have no use for you anymore. You see, you can tell that there was this immediate guilt that he felt for his sin. And Tamar standing in front of him, talking to him, was simply a reminder of his foolish sin. Her standing in front of him was a reminder of the evil that he'd done. And so when he says to her, arise, be gone, he's not just talking to her. But most likely he's also looking at his sin before him and saying, get away from me. I don't want to think about you anymore. Obviously, all of us in here, we know that when we cross that line, when we enter into whatever the sin might be in our life, our sin is before us, the shame is before us, the guilt is before us. And everything in us wants to say to whatever it is that's in front of us, arise, be gone. Whether it's a person, a situation, but of course, we want to also say to the shame, to the sin, arise, be gone. And so we have Amnon. The third person in our text that we want to focus on for just a moment was King David. You guys remember King David had done nothing after the situation, both as a king and as a father. Go with me over to verse 21. Read David's reaction one more time. It says, but when King David heard all these things, he was very angry but I want you guys to notice that there's something missing from verse 21. Action. Within him, in, inside of him, inwardly, he's angry. But you could also add to the end of verse 21, but David did nothing. He was angry, but he did nothing. In fact, according to verse 23, two full years pass. Over the course of two years, David remains silent. Inwardly, verse 21 says he's angry. But outwardly, we're told that his family is left on standby, waiting for dad to do something. And dad eventually does nothing. You know, the thought had to come, will dad protect or comfort his daughter, Tamar? Dad did nothing. You have to think, will dad eventually correct his son? Will he correct Amnon? Dad did nothing. And if you're with us last week, we don't have time to talk about it this morning. We talked about a couple reasons why David might have stayed silent, but we're not going to get into those. And the third or the fourth person in our text this morning in the aftermath is Absalom. Absalom was the other brother of Tamar. We're told Amnon was Tamar's half-brother. Absalom is her full-blooded brother. One of the things we see about Absalom is that he's waiting. He's waiting either for his father to do something 
or he's waiting for the right time to avenge his sister by murdering his brother. Let's start this morning in verse 22. It says, And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom heeded Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. So during that time where David did nothing, his son Absalom is also forced to stand by and also do nothing. Perhaps he was waiting for his dad to intervene. Perhaps he's waiting for his dad to say something. Perhaps he's waiting for his father, the king, to bring about charges. Yet that whole time, we're told nothing happens. In fact, the only thing that does happen, it says here in verse 22, was that Amnon and Absalom would speak to each other, but they wouldn't, but that they would speak neither good nor bad to one another. One commentator wrote about it this way. He says, Absalom plays it cool. In front of Amnon, he refuses to show his hand. More importantly, he refuses to show his heart and the hatred that is building up within him, the resentment, the murder that's building up within him toward his brother. Now, the header above verse 23 in most of our Bibles gives away what's going to happen Next, in most of our Bibles, the header reads, Absalom murders Amnon. Keep reading with me, verse 23. It says, and it came to pass after two full years. If you have your pen, pencil, highlighter, we're going to come back to verse 23. Would you underline that after two full years? It says that Amnon, or Absalom, had sheep shears in Baal Hazar, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. And so a couple of years pass now. Everybody's silent. This is one of those things that maybe some of us within our families where none of us talk about it. Anybody got stuff like that in your family where stuff's going on? There's beef. There's this silent tension, yet no one talks about it. That's what happened for two full years. Finally, Absalom decides, I'm going to do something. There has been inactivity for two years. I'm going to do something. And so he devises a plan. The plan is to invite his dad and his brothers, specifically Amnon, to come and to get away on a retreat. So he goes to his dad and he says, hey dad, can, can you and the boys get away? Is there any way we can all get away? Verse 25, it says, but the king said to Absalom, no, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. So come on, dad. The sheep shearers are going to be there. No, whatever that means. But come on, dad, let's get away. And David says, no, there's no time for that. There's no time. Well, dad, can I at least get your blessing for the boys to come, for my brothers to come? And we're told that David blessed them. Verse 26, it says, then Absalom said, if not... Please let my brother Absalom or Abnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he let Abnon and all the king's sons go 
with them. I want to stop right here for a moment. It's interesting how amazing of a man David was. He was the man after God's own heart, first king of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel. But David had no discernment. There, there, there was something missing with this man when it came to parenting. There was a certain discernment that David didn't have for his children. How was it that David did not discern that there was this hatred, this rage, building up within one son toward the other? Why is it that David could not discern, hey, this might not be a good idea. My son is capable of doing this. Yet for some reason, he doesn't discern it, and he lets all the boys go with Absalom. And so Absalom's plan is now in motion. Verse 28, it says, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you, be courageous and valiant. Verse 29, so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. And so stop there for a minute. The plan's there. When he comes, we're going to get him drunk. We're going to get him distracted. And when I say strike, you kill. And here we have brother-on-brother brother murder. It says at the end of verse 29, then all the king's son arose and each one got on to his mule and fled. And so only Abnon is murdered. Everyone else, all the other of the king's sons, they get away. Verse 30, and it came to pass while they were on the way that David knew, or news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Bad information. Verse 31, so the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground and all his servants um, stood by with their clothes torn. Verse 32, then Jonadab, remember Jonadab from earlier in the chapter, the sneaky, crafty, cunning guy that helped this whole situation in the first place. Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, let not my Lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord, the king, take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. And so crafty, cunning Jonadab jumps into the story back one more time, and he lets David know, hey, David, I know the report said that everyone is dead, but only Amnon is dead. And he also lets them know there at the end of verse 32, the reason for the murder is tied back to Absalom. Absalom gave the command because this has been determined. This has been building over the last two years all the way back to the end of verse 32 from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. And so I don't know what David's thinking. I don't know if David's thinking, well, that's better, only one. Or if he's thinking, man, that's good news, bad news. I still lost a son here. 
I still have this thing with my daughter. My son's now murdered. But whatever it is, he gets told only Amnon is dead. So just as Amnon was cunning in his rape of Tamar, Absalom is also cunning in his murder of Amnon. Which leads us to a bigger question this morning. How did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where we're talking about not only rape, but now we're talking about murder, all within the same family? How did we get here? There's an issue I want to focus on for the remainder of our time together this morning. You see, I believe both sins, both stories, both the rape and the murder, have the same issue. We can tie it back to the same thing. And that issue was time. T-I-M-E. Both the rape and the murder can be tied back to time. Go, go back with me to verse 1 here in chapter 13. You guys remember the NIV says that in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar. Now jump with me over to verse 23 here in the same chapter this week. You could also say in the course of time, specifically in the course of two full years, Absalom finally kills his brother. You see, both acts of violence, both acts of evil, had time in common. You see, over time, the lust grew and the hatred grew. Over time, it went from a sinful heart issue to an outward action. And in both cases, there was also time to repent, but neither did. Time. They both had time. They had time to say no. They had time to stop letting it linger. There was time for the unhealthy attraction to his sister for him to say, hey, I'm going to talk to someone. I'm going to get some sort of godly counsel. There's time to cut this off. For Absalom, there was time. There was time to surrender his anger to the Lord. There was time to confront his brother, not act with this good nor evil nor good nor bad, this we're going to play it cool. There was time to have those difficult conversations. For David, there was time to jump in as king and as father and do something. And then obviously in both situations, there was time for Amnon to repent this thought, this attraction this unhealthy attraction is not from God. I repent of it. There was time for Absalom to say, I repent of this hatred that is built up in my heart for the past two years. Time. Time is what both situations had in common. And since we don't have time or since we don't, have anything else to read about these people, I think it's safe to assume what happened in the rest of the story. I think it's safe to assume that Tamar, during this two-year period of time, remains stunned. 
and continue to grow numb by the day. I think it's safe to assume that Amnon, over this two full year period of time, remained angry. And probably daily he tried to put away the memories that haunted him about what he did. David, during that same two-year period of time, he remains silent. And for two full years, during that period of time, Absalom sees everything. He has his hurting sister in his home. He sees the pain that she lives with on a daily basis. During that two-year period of time, Absalom sees Amnon's hypocrisy. Hi, brother. How are you? I'm good. Fake conversations, neither good nor bad. The hypocrisy behind it. He sees his dad's silence for two full years. He must have been wanting to go up to his dad and say, Dad, are you going to do something? Time has passed. Two years have passed. Two full years. Dad, are you going to do something? I could see how Absalom becomes so full of hate and so full of a desire for vengeance. Because time has passed. Would you go with me over to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning? Ephesians chapter 4. Two years. Two years is a long time to sit idly and have hatred just build. Two years is a long time for bitterness to multiply inside a person's heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, take a look at verse 26 with me. It says, in your anger, we know the text, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, the word of God is very clear that we are not to let the sun go down. Or in other words, we are not to let a day pass without dealing with the anger in our heart. Give me your eyes for a moment, church. Well, Absalom has let this anger rage in him for two full years. When you do the math, that's 730 times the sun went down and he remained angry. So scripture says, don't even let the sun go down one time, one day. Don't even let one night pass. This man has been building up for 730 days. 730 sunsets have passed with this issue not having been dealt with. The verse says, be angry and do not sin. Meaning there are moments And there are situations that are going to come that bring us anger. I think this is important for us to talk about for a moment. Listen up, church. There are going to be moments. There are going to be situations where we as Christians, with the Spirit of God dwelling in us, where we look and we say, that makes me angry. That's called righteous anger. You know why? Because not only does it make me angry, but I know it probably angers the Father. It grieves the Father. 
And so there are moments where we are going to be angry. It's going to come. It's going to, it's going to build up within us. But here's the situation. I believe that there are moments of justified anger or what some people refer to as righteous anger. But I think the scripture is clear that we are to be angry, but do not sin. When does it turn into sin? When the sun goes down. When does it turn into sin? When it lingers. When does it turn into sin? Obviously, if two years pass. There's moments where it's justified, where it's righteous anger, but it has to be dealt with. It can't be allowed to remain. In fact, this morning, let's be honest, every single one of us can read this story. We can approach chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, and once you get into the text, how could you not be angry? How could you not be justified in, your, in the anger that you feel while reading it? But let me say this this morning, that anger, that burning within needs to be quickly extinguished before it turns into sin. Look at verse 27 with me. It says, and do not give the devil a foothold. If anger is not extinguished, it gives Satan a foothold. If you're taking notes, this word foothold in the Greek, it's the word tapos or tapos. And it literally means or literally speaks of an inhabited place, a station, or a marked off location. You see, if you go three, 730 days with hatred or two full years where it's built up, not only does Satan have a foothold, He's now moved in. It's not just a marked off location. He's all the way moved in. He's there. He's redecorated your heart. Some of us this morning, our hearts look dramatically different than they did a year ago or two years ago or whatever it is that that happened, whatever that is, he's redecorated your heart. He's changed the floors, changed the tiles. He's put up some paintings. He's bought a bed. He fluffs the pillows. He even puts up his little family photos of maybe him and his little demonic crew, you know, his little babies. And I'll tell you this, this is the picture of Satan having a foothold. He's very comfortable at home. He calls your heart home. He's like, I, I like it here. I have influence here. I've made myself comfortable here. You see, as justified as we are in feeling anger or bitterness towards someone or a situation, it can't remain or it will turn into sin and it'll destroy us. Let me say it differently. Satan at homing you will destroy you. It'll, he'll destroy you. Some of us have probably heard this quote before. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Anger and bitterness does nothing to the person that you're angry at. You know, think of all those years, Absalom, just angry, but yet him and just Abner playing it cool. What did that bitterness, what did that anger do to his enemy? Nothing. It was like he was drinking the poison, he was poisoning himself by having that anger and that bitterness. You see, anger and bitterness, you think it hurts the other person. They're just living there. They're, they're, sometimes they don't even realize you're angry at them. And yet, the whole time, you're destroying yourself. 
which leads us to two questions that I want to finish with this morning. If you're taking notes, number one, how long will I let murder linger in my heart? If we go back to our text, it had to do with time. Over the course of time, not dealing with the unhealthy attraction, not dealing with the murder in his heart. Two years have passed. The question this morning, how long will I let murder linger in my heart? Give me eye for a moment, church. Whenever you guys come to church or whenever I pray, so often I pray something to the effect of, Lord, help there to be something that we can hold on to, right? I, I pray that a lot a word, a phrase, a verse, something that we can hold on to. Something that when I come to church and I hear the word, I know that was for me. Let me say this this morning. I believe there's something in here that the Holy Spirit purposely lets us know. And I believe it's something that he wants us to hold on to this morning. And it's this. It's the phrase, two full years. You see, I believe for some of us, that might be the word this morning for us, two full years. Maybe it hasn't been two full years, but it's been one whole year. Or it's been 50 sunsets or, or sun, suns coming down. Whatever the word might be, I believe that the Holy Spirit purposely lets us know how long that period of time was. Because he wants to get our attention. You see, honestly, this morning, some of us have anger, we have outrage, we have hatred. And when it first started, we were justified. But now we're not. Because now it's turned into sin. Let me say, there comes a point where that anger and hatred needs to be surrendered to the Lord. Because if it doesn't, it will turn into murder. And the Bible talks about two kinds of murders, right? Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, the murder that starts in the heart. And then we have here in our text, the murder that eventually manifests itself outwardly. If we do not surrender this to the Lord, it eventually turns into murder. Number one, how long will I let it linger? And then number two this morning, and this is our closing thought, what will I do with the murder in my heart? If it's been two years, if it's been a season, if it's been allowed to linger and it's been, if it's become sin, what will I do with this murder that's in my heart? Let's finish Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And then we're going to pray. It says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, the, the word malice is another word for evil, along with all other kinds of evil. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What will I do with the murder in my heart this morning? I'm going to put it away. I'm going to surrender to the Lord. And what am I going to do in its place? I'm going to forgive just as Christ forgave me. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. But I want to finish our time together a little differently than we usually close our time together. 
I want to encourage us to do something before we go, especially because our topic this morning is so, it's such a serious topic. And I believe that it's a topic that is relevant to where many of our hearts might be right now. And so I'm going to ask you guys to do something that might be a little stretching, might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I think it's worth it this morning just to sort of put a, a bow on top of our study and wrap it. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, instead of closing in worship this morning, closing the song, I'm going to ask you guys to maybe partner up with someone next to you and just pray for each other, talk to each other. Sometimes the Bible says, confess your sins one to another that you might be what? Healed. Some of us might need to be healed of this anger, this bitterness, this hatred that's in our heart this morning. And so I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to encourage you guys to finish up by partnering up with someone around you. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I do pray this morning that you would take, God, these topics, these, these past two Sundays, rape, lust, attraction, unhealthy attraction, and murder, hatred, anger, bitterness. Lord, would you take these two topics, these two subjects from your word, and Father, if any of these things are within us, Lord, God, if there's anything that's unholy, unpleasing to you, God, I pray that we would confess it one to another. Lord, ultimately, what I, what I desire, what I know you desire, Lord, is to see people healed. Not to just simply come to church and sit through a study, but people to walk away healed, having met with Jesus. And Lord, if that means confession, then Lord, I pray we do it. If that means surrender, then I pray that we would do it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just the space you've given to us where we can sit and receive the clear teaching of your word. I pray now that we would not be simply hearers of this message, but as James says, that we would be doers, that we'd do something with what we've heard. And so, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Before you go, would you maybe turn around, find someone, just pray, pray for each other and whatever else you need to talk about. Then after you're done praying, you guys are dismissed.